thank you to the team for leading us. Uh, great rendition of what a friend we have in Jesus, right? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, we're continuing our series in uh, resurrection stories. This is the resurrection season. It's a very uh, exciting season in the life of the church. And we're looking at resurrection encounters. The, the resurrected Jesus uh, deliberately seeks out and meets with numerous people. And we are actually, uh, I think, three, four weeks out of Easter, we're still talking about the Easter Sunday appearances. So we've looked at several, Mary Magdalene uh, right at the tomb. Then we looked at Jesus encountering uh, the people, the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. That was later that day. And the story we pick up this evening is the disciples, or the, we, we pick up this morning, is a story that happens resurrection evening with the disciples. Uh, but let me begin it here. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this movie. Let me just call this up. Seen this movie or perhaps read the book uh, Room? Uh, if that's ever sort of been on your radar. This is a kind of an intriguing story. I, for a while, thought this was a true story. I don't think it is, actually. Although there are stories that are sort of have elements of this uh, as somebody's story. So this is a story about a young lady who is, uh, I think she's kidnapped, and she's locked up in a room. It's a shed, actually, but she's locked up in this room, and that's where she exists. The, her captor uh, holds her there, and she eventually actually gives birth to a child, and that's where the, sort of the story kicks in. She already has a child. And this child grows up in, in room. It, that's his world. And the lady, his mom, goes to great lengths to help him sort of, like, shield him from some of the trauma of her experience and, and try and breathe life into this room and that the room is the world and everything has, has meaning. And uh, it's really uh, a beautiful uh, journey that she's on as she tries to sort of shield her kid, who's five. Uh, and this is, the room is literally the only world he knows. He's locked in this room. Um, he does, well, I don't need to tell you the movie. You can watch it. <laughs> no spoilers. Um, but the reason I bring up this movie is because uh, this is where our story, our biblical text, starts us. Uh, these aren't people that have been locked in a room by someone. These are people who lock themselves in a room. Um, they're in a locked room uh, for some of the same reasons, not all of the same reasons, I'm sure. So we're looking at a story in John chapter 20, and this is still, as John writes the text, as you hear it, bring yourself back to the resurrection day, because this is still Resurrection Sunday. Hear these words from John chapter 20. I'm going to read it as, as the story, and then right after, you're going to get to hear Malcolm Geith, who is a poet. British guy, looks a bit like a hobbit. And he's going to read to you a poem based on this text. And it's beautiful. I'm just going to let him read it because he wrote the poem. And his voice is amazing. So, so you'll get the story first in story form. Then you'll get in poetic form. But hear God's word this morning. John chapter 20, starting in at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, resurrection day, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The word of the Lord. This breathless earth. This breathless earth. We bolted every door, but even so we couldn't catch our breath for very fear. Fear of their knocking at the gate below. Fear that they'd find and kill us even here. Though Mary's tale had quickened all our hearts, each fleeting hope just deepens your despair. The panic grips again, the gasping starts, the drowning and the coming up for air. Then, suddenly, a different atmosphere, a clarity of light, a strange release and all unlooked for. Christ himself was there, love in his eyes and on his lips our peace. So now we breathe again, sent forth, forgiven, to bring this breathless earth a breath of heaven. The story starts in a locked room. The text is quite clear. The disciples are afraid. Uh, They're afraid of the Jewish leaders uh, who have just killed Jesus, right, two days before. And uh, as followers of Jesus, they have every reason perhaps to feel some fear. Uh, But as somebody has pointed out to me, uh, perhaps the greatest danger, though there was danger from without, perhaps the greatest danger is danger from within, uh, locked in their own narrative, their own feelings of despair and um, broken Dreams, uh, hopes shattered, shame perhaps, right? They've all abandoned Jesus in that weekend. Uh, There's feelings of uh, shame, confusion. Um, Who knows what they're all feeling? And they're wrestling, they're locked up with that as well as they sit in that room that evening. Trying to go back through the story and say, if only I had, or perhaps if. Lots of regret, bitterness, perhaps. I just want to pause there for a moment because most of us, I think, haven't grown up in a locked room, literally. And perhaps you can think of a time you were locked in a room, a closet perhaps, or the bathroom door locked, didn't open. And that happens from time to time. But really, I think, I, I think it'd be uh, more uh, in line with this text. If, have you ever been locked in your fear? You've just been paralyzed by fear? Like you're so afraid you just don't actually know how to act? Or perhaps you're locked into or... Or, or crippled by worry. There's just so much going on in the world or in your world or in your family and you just get sort of like, you get into this kind of, your, your, your mind starts spinning, your whole emotions, your body. You just get crippled by fear and worry and anxiety and doubt and you actually don't know what to do next. And I think we can probably imagine Uh, or remember times where we've been in a room like that. Where we're just very uncertain of what to do. That is the space that the disciples find themselves in. They are afraid. 
not only certainly from the outside pressures, but also with all of that inward thing that's going on. And what I want you to notice in this text, this is profoundly good news, is that Jesus meets them precisely here. In their fear, their confusion, their shame, their doubt, their anxiety, they're crippled by it, they're locked in this room, they don't know what to do next, and the risen Jesus shows up. Friends, this is profoundly good news. And I hope you hear it as such. As you wrestle with your own fears, perhaps coming out of the pandemic, your own anxieties are about stuff that's, that's sort of happening around you uh, or in the world that you have no control over. And you're wondering, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet with, with the rising prices of everything. Or whatever it is that you are struggling with, your doubts, your, your profound questions about faith, about God and whether God's real or whether God's going to show up for you or why God has been silent for so long. Whatever it is you're wrestling with, can you hear, friends, that the risen Jesus meets you there, in that room with you? Is a profoundly uh, encouraging piece of this story. And I notice that he doesn't show up and, and chastise them for their fear, or their anxiety, or their shame, or their failures but he gives them the gift of peace. Not only does he show up, but he says, peace be with you. In fact, so important is that message of peace that he wants to communicate, he repeats it. So repetition is always a clue that what's being said is important. So twice in two verses, Jesus will say to his disciples, his closest friends, who are wrestling with their fear and anxiety, peace be with you. So when Jesus shows up, that's the gift he gives. He doesn't give the gift of admonishment in this moment, the gift of chastising them, the gift of like, you idiots, I told you three times that this would be the story, which he did. He doesn't say that. He enters their locked room and says, peace be with you. Friends, Jesus, I think, desires still to meet us in our locked rooms and offer us peace. It's a, um, a fulfillment, actually, of if you read earlier in John when Jesus is speaking prior to his death and resurrection, Jesus says these words to them in John 16, I have told you these things, he tells them a lot of things at that point, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, that's a guarantee actually, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And what Jesus gives the disciples here is just actually fulfillment of that. They've had trouble. They're having trouble. They will have trouble. But Jesus gives them his peace. Every letter that Paul writes to the New Testament church, every single one of them, begins with the greeting, grace and peace. That's the message to the church, friends. That's where you live. In the complicated, difficult world that we find ourselves in where sort of the next step isn't always clear and the pressures are coming at you from all sides, Jesus enters that place with you and gives you peace. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus also then, he doesn't want them to stay in a locked room. He wants them to send them out in wide open places. Again, Jesus says to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me 
I am sending you. And so Jesus sends us out, sends out these disciples and this invitation, this challenge echoes out to us. Jesus sends us out into the world. And notice how Jesus sends us. As the Father sent me in that way, I am sending you all, you, 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 on screen. That's how he's sending us. As the Father has sent Jesus. So it begs the question, well, how did the Father send Jesus, right? That question's just implied in the text. And this is by no means exhaustive, but Jesus came as a human. He came incarnate. He, he embodied the message. That says something profound about how we should be Christians in the world. That it's not a disembodied message. It's, it's somehow part of our, um, it, it's wrapped up in, our, in the human story as well. It's a God story to be sure. But it's wrapped in human packaging. In the person of Jesus, Jesus embodies the good news. And it will say something profound about how we are to live. Jesus came, John will say, full of grace and truth. That's how God sent Jesus, full of grace and truth. Well, that's how God is sending us into the world, to be full of grace and to be full of truth. Jesus, as you know from the story, and if you read the life of Jesus, you can see he takes the posture of a servant again and again and again. Nothing, or or in the most profound uh, and obvious is when he took off his, his outer clothing and he washed his disciples' feet, like just from this story four days earlier. At the Last Supper, he was washing their feet, and you're thinking, what? You know, the God of the universe is washing their feet. He takes the posture of a servant. That might say something about how God is sending us as well that we are to be servants. Ultimately, Jesus lays down his life. And I'm not here saying that all of us do that in the exact same way that Jesus did, either literally or figuratively. Jesus had a unique mission in bringing about salvation to all of creation. But the posture of laying down your life, being willing to sacrifice for the other, is, in, is inherent in the mission of Jesus. And when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you, it's inherent in that invitation that we are to lay our lives down. In the text here in John, uh, Jesus will say, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Uh, there's whole, like there's pages and pages and pages of interpretive notes and commentaries on this text. It's quite complicated and technical. I, for, for the purposes this morning, I think it's fair to just hear that as an extension of Jesus' mission. Jesus came to forgive sins. And he's inviting us to continue that mission, to step in the world, to step into the world with a message of forgiveness the promise of forgiveness. It's an extension of the mission that Jesus has been on. Now, if you remember, you may or may not remember, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or any of that, but if you remember back in September, we did a short teaching series on something we're calling the rule of life, and we will circle back to that. That language will become more familiar, I hope, to you. But in the rule of life, there was sort of this idea of like, Be with Jesus, spend time with Jesus, and develop some practices to be like Jesus. Allow then, as you're with Jesus, allow Jesus and the Spirit to form and shape you to become more like Jesus. And then the third movement is to do what Jesus did. 
And we're talking about here the third movement, to do what Jesus did, to step into the world like Jesus stepped into the world. But don't forget that it's built on those first two movements. You don't just try and be like Jesus on your own. Oh, Jesus was like super sacrificial, so I will be sacrificial. So I'll pull up my socks and I'll just sacrifice on my own efforts. This is not envisioned to be on your own, by your own initiative, with your own strength. In fact, the text here is very clear. Jesus does, in fact, send us out. He says, peace be with you. That's his gift of peace. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. That's the challenge of being sent out beyond the locked room into these wide open spaces in the very next verse. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Our witness in the world, our entering into the world as Christ followers is empowered by the Spirit of God. It's not something that I need to muster up on my own energy and on my own strength and by my own initiative. Uh, We are called to, we are sent into and called into the world to be like Jesus, to act and think and operate and have develop attitudes and responses that reflect Jesus. But we do so by the power of the Spirit of God in us. Hey, don't miss that. Or this will just feel very discouraging. You'll walk away guilty like, I'm not patient enough. I'm not loving enough. Of course you're not. You're human. (laughs) We allow the Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to shape us, to transform us, so that the Spirit, by the Spirit's strength, we step into the world as followers of Jesus. Right? I mean, back to the forgiveness piece. I, there, people will land differently on this, especially when you start talking to people outside the church about forgiveness. But my understanding of forgiveness is it is fundamentally a divine action. Okay? When you are involved in forgiveness, you're involved in the work of the divine, of God. And we're not going to get there on our own. All right? We need divine help to do divine things. And so this invitation to participate in the mission of Jesus, which includes forgiveness, is empowered by the Spirit who will give us the strength to get there. In this church, we have this phrase, right? Go deep, live wide. It's not an unfamiliar phrase to you. Uh, This is sort of in-house speak. If you're new to varsity, we say these kind of statements, or this statement, with some frequency. But it captures the essence of this text in some ways. Go deep. Let your roots grow deep into Jesus. Receive his peace. Receive his Holy Spirit. So that we can live wide. We can live in these wide open spaces in the world. I read a, uh, this is one sentence from, uh, buried in deep in a commentary I was looking at this week. But I think it is the essence of this text. It reads as follows. The identity of the church as a people Okay, so let me clarify. The identity of the church is a people. In other words, our identity, you all. um, Our identity is shaped by the gifts that we receive from the risen Jesus. Okay, our identity is not whatever we want it to be. (laughs) Our identity is shaped by what Jesus gives us. And what Jesus gives us in this text is his peace and his Holy Spirit. 
And that shapes the identity of the church. These are uncertain times. I'm not, I am not smart enough to always know how to respond to things and everything that's coming and going and, and happening. And I don't always know any more than I suspect you always know. But Jesus gives us his peace. And I don't always know entirely how to be in the world as, a rep, as, as his representative, as his follower. But Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. Right? These are the gifts that give shape to identity as we're on mission. All right? Here, I'm going to leave you with this, and we're going to switch gears a moment, but let me leave you with these words. Um, this is now from a letter that Paul, who writes to the churches uh, later on after this story, and many of the, t- the letters of the New Testament are trying to come to grips with this story. Jesus is alive. Okay, wow, it's fantastic. How do we then live as the people of God in the world? And this is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. So what we know is 2 Corinthians. It's 2 second, it's second Corinthians because it's his second letter, um, at least second letter that we have. And he writes these words. I'm going to read it from the message uh, Um, paraphrase, which I think will bring it to life a little bit, what I'm getting at. Dear, dear Corinthians. I mean, I'm trying to think. Dear, dear Varsonians. I don't know. Dear, dear people in this church, too. I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. Do you hear that longing? I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We did not fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. But your lives are not small. You're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly. Live expansively. Friends, that's the invitation of this text. Is to open up your lives to the peace of God. Open up your lives to the Holy Spirit. To li- now, the sermon's done, so you can kind of... But we're going we're gonna, like, gonna to switch tacks here a little bit. So um, there's paper on your chair and pens, and you're like, what's that all about? Well, okay, here's what that's about. I used to teach uh, at Alberta Bible College in a different iteration of my life, and I taught a class on evangelism which I know is kind of that word has sort of got all kinds of baggage for some of you, and we don't use it a lot, but um, at least part of the mission of the church is evangelism, which is simply telling good news, the good news of the risen Jesus. And that's part of the invitation here. And I used to teach a class on that, and we looked at all kinds of scripture texts, this one included. And so I went back through my notes of that class, and I came across this little... um, it's not a summary of this text, but it's toward the end of the class, I gave a summary of some things to kind of think about while you're on mission. So you can pick up your paper and pen. I am going to put on my teacher tie. And we're going to, you know, I I practice this. I think I can do this over the mic. So I'm going to put on my teacher tie. I think I can do this. I'll not worry about the button. How about? All right. I do own ties. You didn't know that, but I do three of them, in fact. So, I don't know why I'm putting on a tie. I never, ever taught with a tie. But um, 
but now I'm teaching you, okay? So this is teacher, it's not a teacher hat, it's teacher tie. And you are students, so take notes, copious notes if you want, okay? And there might be a quiz. So this is additional information to the sermon, okay? The sermon is done, okay? Hear that the gifts of God shape the identity of God's people. Peace and the Holy Spirit, okay? That's, but this is now just a quick addition. Uh, you might appreciate this. You might not. If you don't want to hear it, you can, you can fall asleep. Some of my students did that um, back in the day. Uh, or they were on their device playing a game or checking Facebook or whatever. But um, I'm going to invite you to take some notes, okay? And then take those notes with you home, whatever you're doing for lunch or supper tonight. Put that note on the table and, and talk about one of these. Say, oh, I never thought about that. That was interesting. Or, ah, I really disagree with that. And use these as discussion starters at some point today with the people in your household or friends you might gather with or your mom. All right, so these are just some things to keep in mind while on mission, okay? While you're the people of God in the world, okay? Somewhat random. Point one, there's like six or seven points, so I'll go through them quick. Accept others where they are. Okay, I know this is going to be a little controversial, but because uh, we don't always agree with others. In fact, I have friends that I completely disagree with. But going in with guns blazing seldom leads anything but dead bodies on the floor, in my opinion. Um, and to start with an argumentative posture and be like, oh, you're wrong, it just hasn't really generated helpful conversations. Um, so accept where people are. You may not agree with where they are. That's fair. But accept where they are. We probably also shouldn't be surprised that people who claim no allegiance to Jesus don't have the values of Jesus. That probably shouldn't be a surprise to us. Okay? Keep in mind we are more, for those of you who really sort of want the biblical metaphor, we live in Athens, not in Jerusalem. Okay? Jerusalem, everybody thought about and believed generally speaking, about the same God. Athens, you recall, when Paul showed up there, they had temples and idols to every God imaginable, including the unknown God. That's more like our world. Okay? People are all over the place with what they believe. And I think initial posture, at least, would be to accept people where they are, which leads to our second thing, which is listen. And I think you'll find that as you listen to people, and if you listen well and carefully, you'll notice that people are already, they are already asking profound questions about life and meaning. Okay, what this presumes is that the Holy Spirit is at work long before I show up. Long before I show up. So what I'm stepping into, whatever conversation it is, people are already, God's already at work. And I should be listening to what is it that God is doing here already. And it's amazing to me when I hang out with my uh, non-Christian friends or pagan friends. I don't mean that unkindly. They're just people who don't think about Jesus much. They ask some really fascinating questions as I spend time with them. And then it becomes very easy to enter into a conversation because it's their conversation. It's their questions. Okay, so, thirdly, gently push, and I'll get to that word gently in a moment, gently push people beyond their assumptions and ways of seeing. And I do mean gently, okay? 
But people will say and believe all kinds of things, and you might want to just push them a little bit on it. So uh, just even this week, I was sitting with a friend who said, you know, I don't, I'm giving up on organized religion. I'm like, oh, okay. Let's talk about that. Like, what's behind that? And as I hear a little bit of it, I haven't heard the whole story, I am sure, but as I hear a little bit of it, I'm like, oh, I sort of can at least appreciate why you're saying what you're saying and why you're landing with why you're landing. And it gives me other points to have a conversation. Um, I have a friend who, you know, I reject the God of the Old Testament. I'm no longer a Christian. He literally said one of his key reasons was the God of the Old Testament is violent. Like, yeah, there's some violent stories in the Old Testament. Let's, have a, let's talk about that. Um, because I, I actually think the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. So let's see if how we can... But gently push back on these things. Don't just say, oh, well, this guy's quit Jesus. Uh, yeah, he has temporarily, or at least at this point in his life. But I can push back a little bit on something and question it. How did you land here? Why did you land here? Why do you think this? Why do you think that? Okay, do it with gentleness. Uh, scripture's clear on that. Again, you know, the guns blazing posture I don't think is helpful primarily. I'm not looking to either be in and certainly not win an argument in this posture. I'm looking to enter into a deeper conversation. And I think we gently push on assumptions and ways of seeing. Um, I could give lots more examples. I move on. Be situation and person specific. Um, you know, the person you speak to this week and the different person you speak to next week are different people, actually. And what God is doing in their lives and what is happening in their lives is unique. And so this one, like I grew up, uh, and, and some of this training was very good, but I grew up with sort of evangelism training. It was the same message to this, to, doesn't matter who you were talking to. <laughs> it was the same booklet, same message, same, you know, everything was the same. And I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that actually the gospel, the good news, can be nuanced as you listen to people and be person-specific. So some people are deeply, deeply lonely. And as you talk to them, as you hear their stories, you listen to them, you might say, wow, you know, Jesus speaks to loneliness, actually. And you might just highlight that part of Jesus, because you're speaking to a real felt need, a deep longing. But you might have a completely different conversation with someone who's in a different space and who's struggling with unforgiveness and anger and bitterness. Right? It's a different conversation. They're, in a different, they're having a different life experience. And so I would urge you as you are on mission to be people and situation specific. Two more. Be honest. Okay, we live in a God-centered story. The good news is about what God is doing in the world. But we're humans in that story, and sometimes we get it wrong, painfully wrong. And just be honest about that. Right? Sometimes the church gets it wrong. There's parts of our church history I'm not very proud of. They're you know, directly my doing, but I'm part of the church. And I think we can be honest. Here's really the encouragement is to be, don't pretend to not be human. We are human. And the human story is messy. At least mine is. I assume yours probably is a bit too. And it's okay. Um, Don Potersky, Potersky, he's a Canadian sociologist 
uh, some of you know that name, uh, wrote these words that I have just a quote from him, be true to your light and true to your darkness. And really just inviting you to just, you know, there's some things that I think, um, you know, God has worked in my life and feel a little bit more whole. And there's some parts of my life that still feel a bit broken. And, and you know what? I am, I don't always get it right. And I, I'll do my best to own that and apologize. And I don't need to defend. Um, and I think people appreciate that, I think, sort of honesty. Um, it kind of goes hand in hand with my last point, which is live with integrity. Um, I mean, you're well aware you live on the same planet I do um, and in the same Western culture. There's been a complete erosion of trust in our culture, an absolute erosion of trust. I can give you hundreds of examples on this. Um, and, and it's also erosion uh, on how people view the church. Right? There's some fairly... Um, uh, obvious, or there's, there's, there's um, what am I looking for? N- news headlines about the church uh, in terms of residential schools, and, and people kind of just loop, lump church into that, like every church. Uh, that's part of the narrative. There are, um, have been sadly some very well known Christians of late that have fallen from grace, I will say. Um, that affects uh, how people outside the church think of the church. Complete erosion of church. And I'm not, here I'm not arguing, be honest and live with integrity aren't sort of opposites. And I'm saying, well, I'll be honest, but then just kind of lie and be, you know. Like integrity means live with integrity. Like, like be, it, it is in some ways being honest. But what I'm pushing at in this last point is, you know, if what we say we believe, let's try and live. Um, simple as that. This comes from, uh, a Chilean guy, a uh, theologian, he says, in many places, the only way for the light of Christianity to penetrate is through the gospel life of a person of faith. What new generations are asking of Christians today is they consciously live their faith. So while the question, is it true, matters, most of my friends aren't asking that question. They're asking, is it real? Does it make any difference at all? And I'm not going to convince them with a bunch of words that is real. That's going to show up in my life as I open my life up to the work of the Holy Spirit and let God form and shape me. Okay? So those are just sort of random thoughts. They're not really out of this text. They're out of a course I took. You've written them down. Your time as a student, you've done well. Nobody fell asleep. Well done. Uh, Let me leave it here. Uh, but just, friends, remind you back to the, 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 the main part of the sermon is that Jesus meets you where you are and gives you peace and then invites you to be on mission but empowers you with his spirit. It's tremendously good news. It's quite exciting, actually. So let me pray for you as a church community. God, I thank you uh, for resurrection stories And there was all these moments between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension where he touched down and and into people's lives. And he encountered them. And they are such, such encouraging stories and reminders of who you are calling us to be. Your people on mission. That you give us your peace in the midst of the confusion and the doubt and the uncertainty of our age. And you give us your Holy Spirit 
that will shape us and form us and give us strength to live. God, may these words be true of your church in the world, but may these words be true of your church here, gathered this morning, Varsity Bible Church. May these gifts shape our identity as we live as your followers on mission in the world. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.